All Things New, part two. This is part two of our series where, um, you know, at the beginning of the new year just happens to be a really prime time to focus on the promises of God to make all things new. And so with the newness of the year, just experiencing the newness of our own personal revival. Uh, last week, we looked at the passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? 5.17 in particular, where, where Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have gone. Behold, all things have become new, right? It's a promise of, of personal recreation. We got to see that reenacted through baptisms, and that was a beautiful experience to celebrate all together. And while that was a promise of personal recreation, today we're looking at that promise on a grander scale. Revelation chapter 21, if you haven't already opened your Bible there, go ahead and do that. And we're just going to pause for a word of prayer as we dive into the Word of God. Gracious Father in heaven, today we are thankful that you are the God who speaks, and that when you speak, you give life. That when you speak promises, I'm sorry, when you speak these, these prophecies, they are actually promises, not of what could be or can be, but of what will be because of your faithfulness. And so, Lord, we just want to rest in that. We want to stand in that today. Some of us may be in a position where it is difficult to stand on that. And so we just pray for extra grace and strength to do so. Please, as we open up your word, would you please open up our hearts. Send us the gift of your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. And let this truth of all things being made new, let this truth set us free. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen. So earlier this week, I, um, I came across a story. I, I was looking for a picture that was pleasing to the eye, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, there aren't too many pictures of cows that are pleasing to the eye. But I came across a story of dairy cows in Turkey. There was a farmer in Turkey, maybe you heard this story too, um, who was uh, experiment. Well, I don't know, I, I want to be gentle with the words because animal rights and all these things. Anyways, so two of his over 100 dairy cows he fitted them with virtual reality goggles. Have you heard this before? Anyways, he fitted them with virtual reality goggles, specially made for cows. And you know, through the winter, they're having to be indoors all the time. And so he gave them virtual reality goggles that would simulate being outside on the green pastures of California. No, I don't know where it was, but outside on these beautiful green pastures. The hope was to reduce anxiety, reduce stress, and what ended up resulting was a higher quantity of milk production from an average of 22 liters to an average of 27, and also, uh, <laughs> oddly enough, a higher quality of milk production, according to this dairy farmer. Anyways, and so it just kind of brought to this, I, I was thinking about, you know, this sermon that we were preparing in Revelation 21, this picture of an ideal world. Is this God's version of VR goggles just to kind of put on our, our hearts and minds so that he gets more out of us? No, 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 no. I, I think that when, when God gives us the prophecy that was just read in Revelation 21, when we see this, this is more than just a mental mind game, right? This is more than just a simulation this is a promise from God, right? This is a divine vision. 
a prophecy of what will be, of what he actually has in store for us. And I love that last line of verse 5. Write this down because this is true and faithful, right? We don't have to kind of come to this consciousness of like while we're looking at this, ah, oh, this is just make-believe. This is just some flight of imagination. No, this is true and faithful. In fact, I would submit more true than your own experience in the present is what God has in store for the future. Yeah. So let's open up these words together, okay? Uh, I, I truly believe that God wants to give us a renewed vision of the future in order for that picture to break into our present experience. So Revelation 21, when you're there, go ahead and say amen. All right. Revelation 21, verse 1. The Bible says now, I'm reading from the New King James, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then what's the next word in your Bible? For, or because, the first heaven and the first earth had done what? Had passed away. I don't know if you remember this from our previous study last week. We saw this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Right? Hey, uh, behold, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We also studied it from a different angle in Romans chapter 6, where we experience a newness of life because the old life has been put to death. And so just kind of a little bit of a recall. Oh, no, I don't have it, do I? Ah, I don't have it. Anyways, <laughs> a little bit of a recall there. Um, the reality is that the newness that is promised to us hinges upon the oldness being done away with. It hinges upon the former things being done away with. We apply that on a personal level. Right? The, the, we, the old self is put to death. It's buried in the grave so that we can walk in newness of life. But then on a cosmic, grand, you know, creation, ex existential level, it is true as well. So the question that we want to look at before we focus on the new promises is what exactly is being done away with? What is the old that we are saying sayonara to, right? Okay, so what is it? First of all, as we keep reading it in verse 1, John first describes life on the new earth in terms of what is not going to be there, all right? So here we are, verse 1. Beginning, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And here's that last line of verse 1. Also, there was no more, what? Sea. Now, I don't know how that lands upon your, your ears. But for us California boys, <laughs> this, this almost might be disappointing. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, no more coastline. No more, uh, no more surfing the wave. What, what's going on here? Just, just one big Colorado? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, what, what is it really being depicted here? As John is receiving this vision of a new heaven, a new earth, things that did not exist before, they're, they're, they've passed away, including there's no more sea. You know, potentially, maybe this is a literal dynamic where, yeah, there is no coastline. It doesn't necessarily um, exclude the possibility of lakes and other bodies of water and things like that. Maybe even big enough to look like an ocean, like the Great Lakes. I don't know how many of you are Michiganders here. But the reality is that I think that John is actually being given a picture 
of something else, not just a literal sea. But when you think about apocalyptic prophecy, say the books of Daniel and the books of Revelation, the sea was actually the source or where opposition of God really came from. You think back to Daniel chapter 7 and those beasts that represented kingdoms that were in opposition to God, where do they arise from? From the sea. In Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist power, it arises from the, the sea. In Revelation chapter 17, uh, the harlot that sits on a beast, it, it's also sitting upon many, what? Waters that represent multitudes, tongues, nations, and peoples that are really supporting all that opposes God. And so part of this picture, okay, what doesn't exist in the new heaven, in the new earth? Ab uh, evil. Uh, opposition from God. I would say that this is actually pointing to an absence of all that has caused fear and suffering throughout the centuries. All of that is removed. And I would say that there's a personal dynamic here too because yeah, this is really isn't captured in, in the New King James, but um, in other translations, for example, the NRSV, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There's actually a definite article there in the Greek that's not captured in, in the New King James. That the sea was no more. So it is possible that John actually has a particular sea in mind when he is writing this word. Or that as God is giving him this vision, God is assuring him, hey, the sea, that's not going to be there. Well, what sea could have been uh, on the mind or heart of John? As he's writing this vision, do you know where he's writing this vision from? Where he is when he's given these revelations? He's on an island called Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea, part, you know, just kind of western coast of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. He's on that island as an exile. He's on that island separated from those he loves. So when he thinks of not just a sea, but the sea, He's thinking of the source of separation and sorrow. And so when he envisions the new heaven and the new earth, what's no longer a part of that? Not just those things that oppose God, not just the uh, evil and the forces of darkness, but also all that has ever caused separation from loved ones and sorrow. Wow. That's beautiful. Good riddance to evil and all that has caused suffering and separation. You know, what else? I mean, just we're going to skip down a few verses in verse 4. More description of what will not be there. The Bible says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. For some of us, this is very fresh. Devon, my heart goes out to you. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we heard about his mom passing. Yesterday, he heard of his dad passing. Married 47 years. When you lose your partner, you lose half of yourself. And I don't know the particulars and the causes, but Devon, take courage in this. Vicki, you were sharing it, you know, just eight months ago, you lost your husband. No more death. 
Amen. Right? No more tears or anything that has caused those tears. You know, when, we, when it says that God will wipe away every tear, he's not just depicting a new heaven and a new earth where we are unfeeling robots that have no possibility of emotion. No. He's saying that everything that has caused those tears to even come from our eyes, every ounce of that, every experience of that, every diagnosis, every difficulty, every dysfunction, every abuse, persecution, tsunami, tragedy, you name it, every one of those done away with. For the former things have passed away. They've departed. That's the literal term. They've just been sent out. All the hurt, the heartache, the suffering that sin has ravaged this world with. All the curses that were never a part of God's ideal will be reversed and undone. And before we move away from this, this picture of just how all of these things just kind of flee in this picture of the new heaven and the new earth, I, I can't help but stop at the amazing portrait of God's tender mercy. I mean, you just, just look at that phrase one more time in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know how many of us have ever been in a position to wipe away someone else's tears. I mean, when you cry, it's one thing. You, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if you're like me. You just kind of hide your face and go somewhere else. Nobody ever sees. Like, my face just kind of contorts and things, does weird things. Nose turns on. and Anyways, okay. But when you have an opportunity or when you are given a position of trust where you're wiping away someone else's tears, I mean, the, the relationships that come to mind are parent-child, husband-wife. This picture of God is a picture of a kind of closeness that not only soothes all our sorrows, but heals all our hurts. This is a God who loves you with an everlasting love. And he'll love us to the end. Wow. Praise the Lord. So that's what's done away with, right? No more suffering, sorrow, separation. No more opposition to God. There's an absence of evil. I don't know. Can you even let your VR goggles uh, depict that kind of world? Where sin's curse is just absent. There's, there's nothing there. No. Oh, this is Genesis 1 and 2 all over again. Right? In fact, when you think of it, Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, the last two books of the Bible, they are in direct parallel to the very first two books of the Bible. I'm sorry, first two chapters of the Bible are in parallel to the last two chapters of the Bible. Same themes, right? You got the tree of life and rivers running through it. And then in Revelation 22, you've got the tree of life and rivers running through it. All things that were undone are now made new. Praise the Lord. All right, so let's take a look. Let's shift our focus now from the old things that passed away to, to all the things that are made new. What, what is it that makes up this new picture? Well, we've already read verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what's new? We've got a new creation. 
Right? A new creation. I mean, Adam and Eve, they were, the, they were the capstone. Day six, last thing to be created, aside from the creation of time and space on the Sabbath day, right? But they didn't see all the other acts of creation. They didn't see day one, day two, day three. You know, they didn't see God speaking things to existence. But you know what? We'll get to see this new creation. Oh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, there are only a few other places in Scripture where that phrase, new heaven, new earth, is found. And I wanted just to kind of uh, <clears throat> bring them up on the, on the screen here because I think these verses kind of are imported into the sense that is being conjured up here in Revelation 21. So one of those is in Isaiah 65, verse 17. The Bible says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So when we think of this new creation, it's the kind of newness that is so good that it eclipses everything that was before. Yeah, it, it just causes all those other things to be... What was that? I don't even remember what that was like. Yeah. Another one here in the uh, next chapter, Isaiah 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. There's this enduring, remaining uh, dynamic that is involved in the newness of creation. So we're not just looking at a, a new creation that, that replaces the old or eclipses the old, but we're also looking at a newness that remains, that gives you and I a sense of enduring security. Right? When, when we think about the creation, the original creation of Genesis 1 and 2, we know in our minds, well, right after Genesis 1 and 2, there's Genesis 3. But when we read about Revelation 21 and 22, hey, look, that's going to endure. <laughs> Affliction shall not rise up again, according to Nahum chapter 1. Amen? And so we don't have to worry. There's going to be an eternal security there. The other passage in which uh, new heavens and new earth shows up is actually in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter says this, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I love that. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The kind of things that characterize or define the new heavens and the new earth is rightness, or really how I like to perceive of righteousness is right relationships. Things are finally right with God. Things are finally right with each other. Yeah. So what else is new? We've got a new creation and also a new home. Take a look at verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. We've got a new home, and it's called the Holy City. And in Old Testament terminology, this was familiar language for Jerusalem, right? It was familiar language for Jerusalem. However, this is talking about not just a literal Jerusalem that's been remade by human hands. Now, this is talking about a new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven from God. Yeah? This isn't man's doing. This isn't flawed. This is perfected by God himself, the divine carpenter. 
I love it because it says in verse 2 that this city, this new home, is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a what? As a bride adorned for her husband. In other words, it communicates this sense of, well, there's, there's been some preparation done. This divine anticipation, divine planning, and I would say an unmatched beautification by the hand of God. I love it. It communicates a sense of, uh, of relationship. It's a gift of love. This home that he gives to us is a gift of love from God to us. And later on in chapter 21 and then into chapter 22, this home is, is further described. You know, the, the, 12, uh, uh, the 12 stones that make up the, the walls as well as the foundation and then the pearls at each of the 12 gates and stuff. I mean, the description is really... It's really amazing when you read it. But the description isn't all supposed to just give us this, you know, enthusiasm about the place itself. It's really about the person that's there. That's why this language is introduced. This, holy, this new home, it's prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. It's supposed to conjure up this covenant love, which becomes explicit in the following verse, in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. I love it that verse 3, it, it's, it's, it's described as a voice from heaven. We're not sure who it is. But there is this loud voice. You know, the, the angels watched. They were celebrating when God created originally, right? They were celebrating the work of creation. Job 38 gives us this indication that they, the sons of God shouted for joy when God created the heavens and the earth. And they knew all that was motivating that. They knew that God longed for oneness of relationship. And you can only imagine the kind of heart sorrow that they felt when they saw Genesis 3 unfold. And so now in Revelation 21, verse 3, there's this voice from heaven that's saying, yeah, finally, the original intention of what God was up to is being realized. And what is that? God with us. Yes. And so this, this what, what's new? Okay, we've got a new creation, we've got a new home, but it's a new closeness as well. God himself will be with us. The tabernacle of God is with men. You see, in literal Jerusalem, <clears throat> there was that temple that was kind of the, the centerpiece of the national identity of Israel. It was the centerpiece, the hub of, of where their hope was, right? In literal Jerusalem, the temple had actually been a pointer or a symbol to the very presence of God amongst his people. Right, Exodus 25, verse 8, Let them build for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. It was a pointer to the fact that God is with us. But now this new Jerusalem doesn't need a symbol anymore. It doesn't need a pointer to God's presence because God is fully present. And we'll know that, we'll see that, we'll hear that, we'll feel that to the very core of who we are. In fact, later on in chapter 21, it tells us that there's no temple there. Because God himself is the temple. The lamb is the temple. 
And that's what it is. Heaven is where God is. Heaven, his presence defines what eternal life is. It defines that life in the new earth. God dwelling with us and us with him. He will be our God and we will be his people. That's, that's taking from the, the new covenant promise of Jeremiah 31, of, of Ezekiel 36. It's taking from that new covenant promise. We will be his people and he shall be our God. Finally, all of that is fulfilled. Nothing of sin, nothing of self, will be between us and God. It will be the restoration of the Garden of Eden's greatest pleasure. What is Revelation? I think it's later on in chapter 22, verse 4, right? They shall see his face. Yeah. (laughs) All things new. And then in verse 5 of chapter 21, it's the bottom line. It's not just a voice from heaven that's declaring this. This is a voice from the throne itself. This is God himself speaking, right? Verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Okay, so, so what's new? We've got a new creation. We've got a new home. We've got new closeness. And the bottom line is all things. All things are made new. I mean, we think of heaven and earth, and really in in the Hebrew mind, when when you describe two extremes, you're talking about everything in between. God made the heavens, or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Hebrew mind hears that as, and everything between, right? When when, uh, in Revelation you hear of of, uh, uh, those uh, angelic beings Heavenly creatures worshiping God day and night and every time between, okay? That, that's what we're seeing. And so this verse in verse 5, this promise, this declaration from the throne, behold, I make all things new. God is not just going to make the heavens new. He's not just going to make the earth new. He's going to make all things new. All things new. And we're supposed to hear that with all the authority of God behind it. This is the one who's sitting on the throne. He is promising it. I love that. All things new. Everything of the former life is within the scope of this assurance, this recreation, restoration promise. All things in heaven, all things in earth, all things in your heart, and all things in mine. We're included in that too. And I love that this promise, I don't know if you noticed that, this promise is actually stated in the present tense. It's not just, I will make all things new. This voice from heaven, this voice who sits on the throne, he says, I make all things new. Saying, John, behold, behold, I make all things new. It could be better translated, I am making all things new. And this is a promise then that we can both look forward to and presently experience today. The same God who will make all things new someday invites us to let him make all things new today. Amen. And the reality is he's not just preparing a place for his people. He's preparing his people for that place. Who wants to say yes to that today? (laughs) Can 
count me in, right? Amen. And again, this isn't just some VR goggle that you're putting on, like, oh, okay, that'll be, eh, it would be, sure, sure. No, this is true and faithful. <laughs> and so here's, here's the, the simple appeal or the simple conclusion is that God will make all things new someday for those in whom he is making all things new today. And so will you let him make all things new in you today? You know, just kind of drawing back on last week's message and, and importing it here today. That's, that's the bottom line. This picture of God who will do it, he wants to do it today. So give him the green light. Give him the green light today. How does that manifest itself? How does that future newness, or at least that hope for future newness, shape our present experience? Um, you know, I didn't put these on, the, on the, the screen. Can we go to a couple of verses? I think we got time. Can you give me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Let's go. Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We saw 2 Peter 3 on the screen earlier, but we didn't see this particular Peter kind of allows the future hope to break into our present experience as he's drawing his letter to a close. Second Peter chapter 3. If you found it, go ahead and say, I beat you. Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. Second Peter chapter 3. Okay. I'll start in verse 10. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, okay, so in light of this promise that the former things will pass away, and then later on in verse 13, he'll talk about a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, verse 11 says, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. A lot of words there, but did you kind of catch how, how Peter takes that future hope and says, okay, what does that mean for me today? Right? Therefore, verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Right? If we're looking at a new creation in which righteousness dwells, well, that future hope of a place that is characterized by righteousness, should, it, it, we should take that as an invitation to be a people who are characterized by God's righteousness. Amen? Therefore, what manner of persons? He's, he's talking about a new character, experiencing a character that's been transformed by the grace and power of Jesus. Not that, that one that's been flagellated by our own effort and just kind of muscling our way to righteousness. No, but allowing the righteousness of God. For, I'm sorry, but allowing ourselves to become the righteousness of God, like we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, who, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And thus, verse 12, that, that's how we start looking for it that day. But we not only hope for it, we also hasten it. We start, that, that future hope actually impacts our present in a way that, hey, we want to extend that hope to others. We want to hasten that day by fulfilling that picture of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, that says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. 
as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Yeah. So new characters, new priorities. But one more place I want to go to. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is just one that last night started dwelling on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So that's to the left. And if you found it, say amen. Awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the last three verses of that chapter. Verses 16, 17, 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 to 18. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Just take that one to the bank. <laughs> In light of the future hope that we have, we don't have to lose heart. Earlier this morning, I was just reading that, that passage in John 13, where Jesus breaks the news to Peter and says, Hey, you think you're going to lay down your life for me? I'm telling you, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And then the very next words are in chapter 14, verse 1. But don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he starts lifting up Peter's eyes from his own personal failures to the future hope. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going so I can prepare a place for you, buddy. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when we're uh, afflicted, when we're pressed by our own weakness, when we've been beaten up by the weaknesses and flaws of others, 2 Corinthians 4.16 has it say, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, even though we are, we are very self-aware of our crumbling nature, Yet the inward man is being, what's the next word in your Bible? Renewed. Okay, so there's this promise of newness. But how often does that newness, is that something way beyond the blue? No, it's being renewed day by day. So what's the result of this? How does that future hope break into our present experience for our light affliction? What? <laughs> I don't know when the last time you considered your affliction light. But Paul is talking about a new perspective on your afflictions. The things that cause us to lose heart. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Man, when you read Revelation 21, does that picture of glory start to become more heavy and more real and more concrete for you? I hope so. But if it's not, then some added assistance will be that when we experience affliction in this world, that will become more hopeful. <laughs> that will become more heavy and real. Our hearts will long for that more. And you know what will happen? Like, a, like, like scales. As that becomes heavier, these afflictions become lighter. As that becomes the eternal perspective, oh, these afflictions become shorter. That's why it says that these light and momentary afflictions are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not, this is verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen 
are eternal. Yeah. So how does this break into our present experience? Well, it results in new character, new priorities, but also new perspective as we navigate life that is fraught with affliction. We're not going to ignore that. We're not going to pretend like we can just sweep that under the rug. No. But because of our future hope, all this junk becomes light and momentary. This isn't reality. We have a home that is way beyond the blue. Friends, today, will you let the God who will make all things new someday make all things new today? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your redeeming love. And we will proclaim that today and every day until you come again. Lord, we give you the green light. Would you please make in us all things new? Would you please do a work that only you can do to make our characters new? to make our priorities fixed on eternal things, to make our perspective and experience of our present affliction light and momentary. Lord, thank you for the blessed hope that we have in Jesus. We look to the one who is true and faithful. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen.